Good morning. Moment of truth. Is it going to come on? I always get scared with the PowerPoint. And, uh, here we go. Oh, the suspense is too much. Okay, good morning. If you've got your Bible, you might want to start turning to 1 Timothy 6. And there we go. Hallelujah. We've got a PowerPoint. Okay. So this morning, we're continuing on in our series called Releasing Everyone. Now, for me, this is probably one of the most important preaching series we've gone through in recent times. Uh, Because as a church, we're called to be looking out, aren't we? We're called to service, and we're called to walk in spiritual freedom. And all of these things are covered in this preaching series. And uh, the the, the key is in the title, because it's called Releasing Everyone. Okay? Releasing Everyone. Because we all have a part to play in the mission of Jubilee Church. That's right, isn't it? We all have a part to play in the community life of Jubilee Church. And we all have a part to play in growing ourselves and each other in God. Look, this isn't just a series for a few people, but this is a series for everyone. Releasing everyone, okay? So I want to start this morning with a couple of quick questions for you. Jubilee, are you in? Are you on board? <laughs> you think I am? Are you excited by what God is doing in Teesside and in the nations? Does God excite you? Does that excite you? Yeah? If you haven't heard Raj's talk from a couple of weeks ago uh, about Gideon's battle uh, and, the, and the battle that we're in as a church at the minute, I'd really strongly recommend you listening to that. All right, It's a really, really good visionary talk because uh, he talks about the battle and right in the thick of the battle, it's these challenges that come up and it's where we start to think, are we in, are we on board, are we, are we involved in what God's doing? And what I want to say to you is that the place you ha- your life has most meaning is right in the middle of that battle, yeah? Right in the middle of community life as a church growing together. All right. So this morning, if you feel like you're on the edge, if you feel like you're frustrated at the moment, please speak to someone. Because as a community, as Rob was saying earlier, we need to be involved, we need to be together, and we need to be on the same mission, walking with God. That's right, isn't it? Okay. So today I'm going to be talking about contentment. All right, that's our topic for today. And I want to give you a quick confession here. I love starting with a confession in church. Um, when I was given the title of contentment, I had no idea what it meant. I was like, contentment? <laughs> what am I going to preach about that? I don't know what it means. So uh, I don't even own a dictionary, so I had to go on dictionary.com and, uh, and look up the official dictionary definition, all right? But let me give you the, the definition for this, okay? Uh, it is, contentment is a state of happiness and satisfaction. Contentment is a state of happiness and satisfaction. That sounds lovely, doesn't it? So today I'm going to be talking about how we as a church can be released to find contentment. I'm going to be looking at a number of areas of our lives uh, in our church and how we can find contentment in them. Because in the world we live in, contentment and joy and satisfaction can mean a number of different things. But what I want to put put to you this morning is that biblical Christian contentment, happiness, joy and satisfaction is something which is unique. All right. So as usual, I've got three points this morning. We're going to be looking at the truth of the word, Money and finance, and the big one at the end, the key to ultimate contentment. That's where we're going this morning, okay? So let's just quickly read the passage. If you've got your Bible, uh, follow it on there. If not, it's going to be on the screen behind me. And it's coming from 1 Timothy 6, all right. So these are the things that you are to teach and insist on. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree with the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching... They are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels 
and about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt minds who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in doing so have departed from the faith. All right, let me just pray for us before we start. Yeah, Lord Jesus, I just really pray this morning, Lord, as we look at contentment, Lord, as we look at joy and satisfaction, that you can really reveal to us the truth about that, Lord, the truth about Christian contentment, Lord. I pray that you can reveal to us as a church how we can find that in you, Lord. Lord, would you speak to us this morning, Lord? No matter what kind of week we've had this week, Lord, would you speak to us, Lord? Let this be a time to really hear from you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we love you, and this is all about you, Lord Jesus. So would you just come and, and be with us this morning, I pray, in your holy name. Amen. Okay, so looking at the passage, uh, one of the main problems uh, which Paul was addressing was that people were looking for ways to be more godly. All right? They were looking for ways to be or to look more holy. It was as if the people were saying that if we know more about the Bible intellectually uh, up here, then we are more holy. Or if we have more money, then we uh, are better and God clearly loves us more. All right? And the whole point of this passage that I've read is for, for Paul to tackle that mindset. All right, so Paul was tackling those wrong mindsets. So let's get stuck into point one, the truth, okay? Just a quick question for you. If you've got a Bible today, or an app, or something with a Bible on, just hold it up for me. Let me see your Bibles, okay. So I remember, maybe a year ago, I can't remember who it was, but someone brought a word to the front of church about Bibles, didn't they? Do you remember? And, and they said, hold your Bibles in the air and, uh, and because the Bible is our ultimate sword for the battle. It's our ultimate weapon in the battles of the world. Do you remember that? That really spoke to me. It was amazing. And it's just amazing to see so many Bibles here today. It's amazing and it's, it's great to be in a place where we're free to bring a Bible to church and worship God. Because there's so many places in the world where that's not allowed. Some of you might be from nations where it's, uh, it's, it's illegal to have a Bible. You hear about people who smuggle Bibles into these nations as well. This is a really important book, and we're so blessed to be able to have this in church, aren't we? Because this isn't just any book. We know that this is the Word of God. This is the truth. As a friend of mine used to say, these are our basic instructions before leaving earth. Make a note of that, it's good. <laughs> um, so the Queen of England, I love this point in the Bible. The Queen of England, when she, was, uh, when she had a coronation, when she became queen, uh, they give her a gift, okay? Now, bearing in mind that this is the Queen of England, you could have given her any gift in the world. You know, diamonds, rubies, gold. Do you know what they gave her? A Bible. They gave her a Bible, and on that Bible, was a, it was a, written on the front, it said, this is the most valuable thing this world affords. They give that to the Queen. 
This is an amazing book. Obviously, the Bible is important. As Bill Hybel puts it, uh, God is the perfect partner for the journey, and he has filled, filled Scripture with words of truth that can keep your fears at bay. The Bible has the answers in it to all of life's questions. And what Paul's trying to get across in this passage is just how important it is to stick to what's in this book, to stick to the truth of the Word of God. As it says in 2 Timothy, Scripture is God-breathed. It's the very Word of God. Jubilee, God's Word is his life to us. It's his breath to us. It's his life-changing story available for us. In case you haven't noticed, the point I'm trying to get across this morning is that this is really, really important, yeah? Stick to the truth of the word. Read the Bible. Get together and study it together in small groups. Follow a reading plan. Highlight bits of it. Get stuck into the word of God because that changes lives. And at the time Paul was uh, writing this letter, there was people arguing and squabbling about scripture and what was written. That was a common problem in the church. Uh, they were arguing about the meaning of different words. And there was also people asking for money to interpret the Bible. So these so-called intelligent Christians were going to some of the less educated Christians and they were asking them to pay them to interpret the Bible. It was, it was terrible. So they were saying, you give me money and I'll tell you what's written in this book. It was really very messy. It was manipulative. It was divisive. And it was something that needed addressing. And that's what Paul set out to do in this passage. Because the reason they were doing this was to try and look more godly. Bringing understandability and clarity and life change wasn't their main aim. And Paul puts it uh, amazingly in verse 3. And do you know what? I love this uh, when you're preaching, when you read the Bible, and it's written so clearly that you don't have to try and explain it. Because Paul puts uh, in verse 3, he says, uh, where are we? He says, these teachings promote a godly life. Anyone who teaches something different is arrogance and lacks understanding. Scripture teaches and promotes a godly life. Okay, it's so simple. It doesn't matter how intelligent you think you are or how much you think you understand about the Bible. If it doesn't change your life, it isn't working. Yeah, that's what Paul's saying. Scripture should promote a godly lifestyle. And if it doesn't, it isn't being interpreted properly. Simple as that. That's the point he's getting across. Let me unpack this a little bit for you, okay? For anyone who knows me, you'll know that I'm not academic at all, all right? I don't enjoy studying. I don't enjoy reading. I have to do it. I force myself to do it, okay? But I remember when I was first a Christian, all right, when I was first saved, I really struggled with that because I kept coming up against people who knew more about the Bible than me, who were more intelligent than me, who could really interpret what was going on in the Bible, and I used to get really upset about that because I thought, I'm never going to be as clever as you. I'm never going to understand the Bible like you. But actually, this is really good news for me. Uh, You don't need to be academic to understand the Bible, do you? These are God's words given to us, available for us. If you're ever reading the Bible and feeling confused, just ask yourself, what is this verse, this section, this story trying to say about godliness, about changed life, about Christ-likeness? What does this declare about God's character? The more you look at the Bible this way, the clearer it'll be. The more God will speak to you through that. It's not about being intelligent. It's not about knowing a lot about studying. It's God's word made available to us. Okay. 
So Paul also tackles here as well the subject of people arguing about the Bible. So there's people arguing about the meaning of different words in the Bible, uh, arguing about theology. And there was a serious warning in here about that. Paul actually says that people who waste time arguing with wrong intentions or out of sync with what the Bible is trying to get across have corrupted minds. So he was being serious about this. And even today, the world is full of people like this. People who argue maliciously over the meaning of certain Bible verses using their own agenda. Uh, People who love to debate with others about what the Bible is uh, and says out of self-righteousness. Uh, and it's, it's dangerous. My advice is stay away from these people. Stay away from their teachings. Don't get drawn into debating the Bible with people who have wrong intentions. Yeah? The internet and social media are terrible for this. People arguing and debating about what certain words mean. Stay away from it. Don't get caught up in it. That's what Paul's saying here. Be content in a biblical understanding that declares the wonder of Jesus. Yeah? the beautiful character of God, the life-changing cross that promotes godly living. That's a Bible I want to know, don't you? Yeah? Social media is a worst for it as well. Stay away from it. Stay away from those, uh, those debates about theology. Don't get drawn into it. Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying. All right? You've got to get one of those in every time you preach, don't you? Don't hear what I'm not saying. Uh, we want churches built on spirit and truth, don't we? Of course we do. Yeah, theology is so important. But my question, and the Apostle Paul's question, is what kind of theology? Yeah. If you're not a Christian here this morning, what do you think about the Bible? What are you reading? Where are you getting your instructions for life? Because that is really, really important. Let me end point one with a little uh, quote from Bible commentator Gordon Fee. Uh, He says, indeed... In the end, there are only two possible responses to the word of God. One is to humble ourselves and tremble at it. The other is to harden our hearts, stiffen our necks and reject it. Point one, God's uh, God's word brings life. It brings godliness. It brings contentment. Yeah. Okay, so the second point that Paul tackles here is about money and finance. Don't switch off, okay? Whenever people mention money in church, we all switch off, don't we? Don't switch off, okay? This is important. Um, The problem with the people that Paul was writing about is that they were only interested in money and possessions. Yeah? As it says in verse 9, they longed to be rich. But Paul tackles it straight away when he says, after all, we've brought nothing with us into this world and we can take nothing away with us when we leave. Yeah? There's a similar verse in the book of Ecclesiastes that says everyone comes naked from the mother's womb and as they arrive, so they depart. You come with nothing, you leave with nothing, okay? Put simply, money and stuff should not be the thing that captivates you, yeah? Money and stuff is not the most important thing in the world. Now, hear me out. It's okay to strive for success. It's okay to work hard and study to get a good job to get money. That's okay, but that isn't the be all and end all, is it? Money is not the most important thing. It's not the thing that captivates your attention, okay? Do not be content and satisfied by money and possessions alone. One of the most famous passages about money is found here in verse 10. You've all heard this one. It says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. 
It's an easy mindset to fall into, but Paul is warning us against uh, being tempted to focus all of our attention on money and possessions. Work hard, yes. Earn a good living, yes. Have money, yes, but don't let that be the thing that is most important to you. Don't be content by money alone. Now, I'm not going to spend long talking about money because there's a bigger, uh, there's a bigger meaning in this passage, but I just want to talk about uh, how this can speak to us as a church. There's something in here for Jubilee Church about money. Because why as people do we let money become a stumbling block to actions of faith? So God could call us to do something. God might give us a a vision for for, for us as a church and our first thought could be about money, couldn't it? God could call us to do something. God could call us to go on a mission trip. God could call us to run an event. And our first thought is, can we afford that? Is that financially viable? But don't do that. God wants people who... uh, have faith, yeah? People who are so content and trusting of God that they will follow his call regardless of whether or not it seems financially viable, yeah? Jubilee, be people of faith. Be people of faith. Because God always provides. I might have shared this story before, but I remember a few years ago really struggling with money. By struggling, I mean I didn't have any. <laughs> and, uh, I remember at one point uh, sitting down with my dad, who's not a Christian, and uh, we went through a list of my incomings and my outgoings. All right, my incomings was this big, my outgoings was this big. <laughs> we went through this list of money going into my bank and money going out of my bank. And the first, at the top of the list of things going out of my bank was my tithe, was my money to church. And I remember my dad going absolutely crazy. He was kicking off. He was like, how can you give money to the church when you've got no money? You haven't got a job, but you're giving money to God. And my response then was the same as my response now. You have to rely on God, don't you? You have to rely on God. I had to keep giving money to God, and I did, the world's smallest tithe every week. (laughs) But do you know what? God really honoured that. I remember one point, I I had a phone bill to pay. £40 it was. I had an iPhone, £40. And I had no money in my bank. And I remember just thinking, I'm going to be in so much trouble if I can't pay this phone bill. So I stood at church on Sunday morning, and this lady comes over, over to me at the end, and she says, Gav, are you busy this week? I said, no, of course I'm not, I don't have a job. <laughs> she said, Gav, can you paint my office for me? I was like, paint? I've never painted in my life. She said, I'll pay you 40 pounds to do it. <laughs> I'll pay you 40 pounds to do it. So I went and painted this lady's office. I did a really bad job. There was more paint on the floor than there was on the walls. But she paid me 40 pounds and God provided. I remember another time as well. Uh, I had a job interview in Durham. Okay, and I, re- I remember specifically going to the petrol station and putting the last £7 out of my bank in my car as petrol to get me to the room. I remember it specifically because a woman looked at me like I had two heads. She's like, £7, please. <laughs> I was like, and so I had uh, £7 petrol in my car and I drove to Durham and the whole way driving to Durham I was praying. I was like, God, please let me have this job. God, I need this job. God, I need this job. Do you think I got it? Of course I did. God always provides. What's my point? Don't let money be the thing you rely on, yeah? Rely on God. You might be sitting there at the minute without a job, wondering where on earth your money's going to come from, what you're going to do. Let me give you some advice. Look to him. Be content in him and let his spirit sustain and guide you. And as a church, let's not allow money to be a stumbling block. If God calls us to do something, he will provide, won't he? That might require faith, that might require extra giving, but God, if God has called us, he will provide because he works miracles. And get this, often through you and me as well. 
Will you let him? Will you let God use you to work miracles? If your first thought in any situation is about money, that's the start of showing your love for money. And that's what Paul was warning about in this passage. Don't let money be the thing that captivates you. Jubilee, let's be people of faith who rely on God and not money. Okay, let me get to my final point, because this is the most important one. This is my favourite point here. Okay, the key to ultimate contentment. The key to ultimate contentment. If you've got your notepads, get them out, because this is important. You're not going to guess the answer to this, I promise. The key to ultimate uh, contentment is, of course, Jesus. Jesus, of course it is. Jesus, okay? That's the answer to the question. Jesus is the key to ultimate uh, contentment. He is enough. Thank you and good night. No, I'm joking. Okay, let me expand, let me expand, okay? If knowing Jesus isn't enough for you, if you're a Christian here and you feel like your life's lacking something, if you feel like you're still searching for something, then you don't know the same Jesus as me. All right, because Jesus is enough. I want to give you a massive challenge here. All right, if you lost everything today, would Jesus be enough? Look at the passage in, in the Bible. Jesus talks about the parable of the, uh, of the pearl of great price. If you don't know it, I'll just quickly tell you it. There was a merchant and he spent all of his time looking for pearls that he could sell. Okay, and Jesus talks about this and he says, the man found the pearl of great price the most important pearl, the most beautiful pearl, he found that thing and sold everything he owned to have it. That was his reaction. He sold everything he had to have this most precious thing. He invested his life to have this most precious thing. Is that how you feel about Jesus? Do you invest your whole life in him? Are you content that in Jesus you found everything? That's a massive question, I know, but as a Christian we should be able to answer uh, answer that confidently that in Jesus we've found everything, that he is our pearl of great price, that in him we've got everything we need and we need nothing else because we've got Jesus. If you're not a Christian this morning, have you discovered the real Jesus? Not the blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus, but the real Jesus. The Jesus who loves you more than you love you. The Jesus who is willing to go all the way to the cross so that you could have life to the full, so you could live forever with God. The Jesus that nothing else can compare to. Do you know this Jesus? If you don't, come and speak to me at the end and I'll tell you all about him. Uh, In Corrie Ten Boom's book, The Hiding Place, she tells a story of how her family get arrested by Nazis for helping and caring for Jews in Holland. They get taken to a concentration camp and there she describes the horrors of being locked up and tortured uh, as well as their resilient faith. And she tells a story in this book about a sister, Betsy, all right, and the sister, Betsy, uh, she's about to die. She's lying on a stretcher, skin and bones, all right. And it's her very last breaths, and she whispers to her sister, Corrie. She says, it's going to come up on the board, I think. She says, we must tell the people what we've learned here, Corrie. We must tell them that there is no pit so deep that he, Jesus, is not deeper still. They will listen to us, Corrie, for we've been there. Are you as content and confident as Betsy that there's no situation in your life that is so terrible that Jesus is not the answer? Can you confidently say that? In every situation in your life, are you confident that he is enough? What the passage is saying is that the key to ultimate contentment is to hold, tri- uh, to hold tight to that truth, that promise of eternal life, that life-giving relationship with Jesus, God himself. 
Life isn't about striving all the time, like a mouse running around on a wheel, frantic, not getting anywhere. Life is about something bigger than that. Jesus has offered us a better and bigger way out than that, hasn't he? When everything's going on around you, when life's falling down around you, I know what that feels like a little bit at a minute, when things are going wrong, do you know what? Jesus is still enough. Hold strong in the fact that you have him, and he is what gets you through. Jesus is what brings real happiness, joy, satisfaction, and most importantly, change. I'm going to say it again. He is enough. Look, when it comes to being released as a church into all that God has called us to, and there's a lot in that, whether it's being released to serve the poor, whether it's being released on mission trips around the world, or even just being released into your gifting prophetically, all of that needs to be built on a solid foundation. And that foundation is contentment in Jesus. Knowing that above all else, God is in control. God is the thing that gets you through. Being content and trusting that he will provide, as I mentioned earlier. Look, it's something that sounds really simple. It's easy to say, God's enough, I rely on him. But when push comes to shove, that is the thing that you need to be able to confidently say, God is enough. Fix your eyes to God. Come back to him and be content in that. Be confident in that. Do you know what? Sometimes you need to just come back to God. You need to just come back and say, do you know what, God, I need you in my life again. I need to put, put my eyes back on you. I need to fix my eyes back on you. I need to declare that you are enough. Some of you might be sat there this morning knowing that's you. This morning you might need to put your eyes back onto God. You might have been looking uh, somewhere else. You might have be, had your eyes on the situation that you're in. But God wants you to fix your eyes on him. So I think what we're going to do is, if the worship band want to come up, uh, we're going to worship in a second. But I want to really make this a time of us uh, coming back to God. It's a really simple message this morning, but those are the best ones, aren't they? It's a really simple message that he is enough. But this morning, as we worship, I just want you to fix your eyes back on God. There's going to be not, not, no big uh, response or a big call to come forward. I just want you to fix your eyes on God and worship. And just say, God, you are enough. Take some time out as we worship just to say to God, you are enough. Come back to the centre of my life. Fix your eyes, put your trust back into him and know that he will not fail you. Is that right? But that's the Jesus I want to know. That's the Jesus that as a church we need to be following. As we go through life together, as we battle together, we need to know that Jesus is in the centre. That Jesus is enough. Yeah? So why don't we stand? Let's stand up. I'm going to pray and then we're going to worship. All right. Yeah. Yeah, Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, that you are enough, Lord Jesus. Lord, we thank you that in every situation, Lord, no matter what we're going through in our life, Lord, that you are enough, Lord, that we can be content and we can boast in you and you alone, Lord Jesus. Lord, help us this morning as a church to fix our eyes back on you, Lord Jesus, to be content that in you we found everything, Lord Jesus. Lord, as we worship now, Lord, as we lift up your name, Lord, would you just come and speak to us, Lord Jesus, about the importance of that, Lord, about being content in you and you alone, Lord. Lord, if there's anyone going through any situations in life at the minute, Lord, where they've lost sight of you, Lord Jesus, would you fix their eyes back on you, Lord? And Lord, as a church, help us to be people of faith who are content 
in the joy and the truth of knowing you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we pray this in your holy name, Lord. Amen.